heaven as we prepare our hearts and our minds to worship you. We've praised you, Father, and now we, we're speaking to you and we recognize you as our God and our creator. And all we want to do is to be pleasing to you and to be acceptable, our worship and our and what we do in your sight. And so, Father, we pray right now for your Holy Spirit to be here and to open up our hearts and our understanding to the word that we're about to receive. It spans many centuries, but it is alive and powerful and just as true today as it was back then. It was meant for such a time as this, Father. So we pray that, that it will be mighty upon our hearts and that today... We will all see Jesus as you want us to see him. And we pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the last few weeks, you know, we've, we've been studying about worship. Our, our main text was John chapter 4. And we're not even going to go there because we've talked and we've reviewed about that enough. But just to say that God said, here's my heart's desire. Jesus told that woman at the well... The desire of God is for true worshipers to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And then we saw two weeks ago that right before that, Jesus had asked her for water and asked her for a drink. And she said, why are you, being a Jew, speaking to me, a Samaritan woman? You're not supposed to do that. You guys don't care about us. And He goes, I do. And I want you to know that if you knew the gift of God... And who it was that asked of you. You would ask of him of living water and he'd give it to you. And we talked about Jesus being that gift of God. And we saw that whenever Mary Magdalene saw him in the garden after that resurrection. That she said, Rabboni, my Lord and my Master. And we saw Cleopas who Jesus explained to them about the cross and how the, the Messiah must suffer and die. But it was whenever he went into the house to break bread with him and he broke that bread and they saw the nail prints on the hands as he handed it to him. That it says that their eyes were open and Jesus left right out of their sight. And then they turned around and said, did our hearts not burn whenever he taught us the word on the way, talking about him? And then the same thing happened with Thomas who said, unless I see those nail prints in the hands and the feet and that scar in the side from that spear that pierced through him I'll not believe and the next week when Jesus appeared miraculously inside that room and he said Thomas here reach in it's right here and he said my Lord and my God and that's where we've been the last couple weeks and we we saw Jesus as he was last week a little bit but now that was all of their view you know what we're going to do today how does God want you and I to see His Son? How does God want you and I to see Him? If you want to turn your Bibles in preparation to Isaiah chapter 52, we will be there in just a moment. And while you're turning there, I'm going to take you up to there. That's going to be our main text, our foundation. But the one leading us up to that from the New Testament point of view is Hebrews chapter 2. So while you're turning to Isaiah 52, I'm going to talk about Hebrews chapter 2 for a minute. Where it says there that we are encouraged to give a more earnest heed to those things that we study. Oh, Miss T, I'm sorry. I looked up there and saw that. 
part of the announcements was I, I was, I didn't see her flagging me or anything. Was Jonathan Kahn here? Uh, it, is it going to play? Man, I got carried away. I apologize. <laughs> okay. Feast of Trumpets. Amen. We're, we're being a part of that. We got some folks who are, are taking the lead and running with that. Uh, our elders are going to oversee that. We, uh, I signed up this morning for us to be a, um, in conjunction with that, to we get to show a live simulcast of the, the day of prayer that they're going to do on Washington on the square uh, in Washington, D.C. on Saturday, September 26th. We will be open, uh, Lord permitting with all the things that are going on and nothing changes. We will, we will be able to, we're going to be a part of it first in prayer on the square in Martinsville. And we're trying to get all of the other churches to join us as the body of Christ in this county to pray for our city, our county, our communities, our nation, our world. And then we can meet here to join them and watch that, that here for those who want to be a part of that. So it's 33 days away. So we're still in some planning stages, but it is rolling and it's going to come. And again, he made mention the Feast of Trumpets is, is uh, starting the kickoff of all of that. I'm telling you, it's important. So be in prayer, be ready, be telling folks that we're going to have prayer on the square and we're going to have uh, prayer here with the video and join with it, okay? And I'm sorry because the Word of God gets me so excited and fired up. I was, I was into it, I apologize, and then I, I saw that. But, but let's, let's get rolling back into our, our scriptures now, man. You guys be in Isaiah 52. I'm in Hebrews chapter 2. And go ahead and go to uh, that slide, Miss T, right there. See, I was way behind. I was way ahead. I didn't. Whatever. Are you all ready? This is your pause time, too, to get you some Kleenexes. 
It's going to get hot. You might think it's cool in here. It's going to get hot. Your eyes are going to sweat. We got them back here in the back because my eyes sweat whenever it gets hot, okay? The writer of Hebrews tells us to give, that we are encouraged to give the more earnest heed to the things that we study from the Word of God so that you don't drift away from Him. Everything in this world is a battle between light and dark, between our enemy and our God. Everything is a battle between that, and most folks don't realize it. But the one who controls this world and who has charge of it at this moment does everything that he can to guide you slowly. When you're drifting away, that's just something that's going along with the the little flow. You don't even realize it because everything else is moving at the same speed you are. It's not like Melissa won a fishing contest here last night. People who go, yeah, she caught a big one. And, but when you go fishing in like a ranger bass boat, they want to have a, a pair of 250s on there so they can go 80 miles an hour to get to the spot. You know you're flying and you're trying to get to something. But you know what? The devil doesn't try to do that because he would collide with us a lot. So what does he do? He, he wants us to drift. He wants us to go with the flow and everything that he's designing around you is designed in that kind of way. I heard something this week that just really rocked me because I didn't even think about it in that terms. Wants us to drift. Did you know that everything in life is designed that way? Even marketing. You know what the people who I got a brother that's been in marketing for years, but there's people on the other side of the aisle that call marketing witchcraft because they want you to desire and lust after something that you don't really need and never even knew of before now, but they want to put it out there so much that you just have to have it no matter what. And that's how the devil does. He wants us to drift away from God. He puts everything out there like that. We are encouraged to grab a hold of the Word of God and put it within us so that we do not drift away from our anchor who anchors our soul. Stay connected to Him. The the constant dialogue and the constant things that goes on from the lips of everyone is designed, just like the fear that this virus was caused, is to design to cause the body of Christ to drift away from God. And you could feel it whenever that was happening. And praise God we're filling back up. Because people are beginning to realize this. And then... It says this, and give heed to the word of God, to those precious promises that he has for you, because this salvation was first proclaimed by our Lord. It was confirmed by those who walked with him. And then it says that our God also verified it through the wonders and the signs and the miracles. God verified that this was his son and that salvation was going to be granted through him. And now we hear Jesus, this creator of the universe, who used his hands to create all these things. He came down as mortal man, as flesh and blood and dust, so that he could be our redemption and to draw us nigh unto God. And now, I want to tell you something, the cross had to come before the crown. He was already crowned in glory, but he came back again because he wants us to be with him. 
He wants many sons to be taken up to glory. And that could not happen without the cross. And you don't think that Satan ain't always trying to drift us away. You don't think that he's not real. And there, Jesus knew he was real because in Matthew chapter 4, it says as soon as he was baptized by John the baptizer in that river Jordan and that heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit came down upon him like a dove and the voice from heaven said, this is my son my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It says that the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. And guess what? He was tempted there by Satan. He had a face-to-face battle with him. So he is real. The Lord talked to him and he talked to the Lord. And the Lord used the Word of God every time to be able to, to go away from that temptation and not drift away from God. But you know that third one that happened there in that temptation was a powerful one. You know what Satan tried to do? He said this. He said, you know what? I'll let you have the crown before the cross. If you, it says that he took him away to a mountain. And he showed to Jesus all the glories of this world and all the kingdoms. We don't realize what a temptation that was because he made them. And he wants them and he wants them back. And Satan said, they're mine right now. But I will give all of this to you. I'll give you the crown before the cross. You don't have to suffer and die and go through that. All you have to do is fall down and worship me one time. And I'll give all that to you. And I want you to know that that our Lord did not say, You don't have that right. You don't have that authority. You don't have that power, did he? No. The Lord had to use a scripture back to him to tell him that he was not going to do that and to get thee away from me, Satan. But you know what? He's going to come back at a more convenient time, it says, whenever he could. But the fact is, he's real and he's the God of this world. Even Jesus acknowledged that right now that was in your power to do. But Satan... The cross has to come before the crown. If Jesus would have done that, not any of us would have been able to go to glory because the cross wouldn't have happened and Jesus knew that. So he had his eyes fixed upon the goal to bring, as this scripture says, many sons to glory. And therefore, he had to suffer, it says. He had to to die. And in verse 9 there, if you look at it, verse 9 says, but we... But we see Jesus. And that's what I want you to see today. I want you to see Jesus as the Holy Spirit, as the Word of God, as God Himself wants us to see the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, we don't see everything. We can't see all the things that God's getting ready to put underneath His feet. We can't even imagine those type of things. But we can see Jesus In the way that God wants us to. We see Jesus. What does God want us to know? He was made a little lower than the angels. God made him a little lower than the angels. Why? So that we might prosper. There was a purpose behind it. He made him a little lower for the suffering of death. After that he can be crowned it says with glory and honor. But before the cross there is no crowning. 
So Jesus came for suffering and death upon that cross. And we are to see Jesus who, by the grace of God, it says there, tasted death for every one of us. Do not fear. Do not think it wasn't for me. The scripture says that he tasted death for every one of us. And that means you. And that means me. And praise God that he tasted death for me. Because I know that that was a bad taste on him. But we are by the grace of God. Verse 10. Therefore God says it is fitting. That the creator of all things would drink of that cup. And go to the cross so that through him. And now here's what he had his eyes fixed on. That through him he could now bring many sons to glory. And he come, becomes the captain of our great salvation. So therefore do not drift away from this great salvation. And that how we want to see Jesus then. As God says I want you to see him. That it was fitting for him to suffer and to die. So that you might have the hope of being the many sons in glory. I want you to see the Old Testament version of what they put in there. God put it there what he wanted us to see. So if you're there with me in Isaiah chapter 52. I want you to go ahead and begin at verse 9 with me where it says, Break forth into joy. Are you guys joyous today? Break forth into joy. Why? We need to sing together that there ain't no grave going to hold this body down. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. He's redeemed you and I. He has made bare His holy arm. You know what that means? When... Whenever someone's rolling up their sleeves and getting ready to do something, what is it, man? They're putting on the power, ain't they? They're getting ready to show their strength. The God is Jehovah Sabaoth. Sabaoth is the word for army. We serve the Lord of the armies. And this was a battle. You know what? It says that the heavens and the earth is the handiwork of God. The fingers, the hands of God did all of that. That is a tiny thing compared to salvation. Compared to what it took to beat death and the devil, and he who has power over that, God had to bear his arm. He had to roll that sleeve up, and he had to get out with some power. It is by strength that God overcame death through Christ on that cross and what he had to go through. He said God made bare his arms, and then... It's a spiritual war that we're fighting, not a physical war. And he rolled up his sleeves and he says, I want all of the ends of the earth to see the salvation that I'm about ready to bring forth unto you. So he says, depart all of you, depart. Go from here, you vessels of God. Do you know that's us? That God has chosen, now it says in the New Testament, to put in these earthen vessels his words, and we are the ambassadors for Christ. We are those earthen vessels. Get going, folks. Get going. And don't be afraid of what they're going to do for you. Why? Why can you not be afraid? He says, I'm going to give you an example. Don't you know that I am the God? Don't flee. Don't run in haste. Don't be afraid. For I, the Lord, will go before you. And the God of Israel will be your rear guard. You know what he's telling you? He's saying... Look back at the Word of God, and I want you to remember something. We talked about it a while ago. 
it is a very big point of view for some, some folks in here because it was a day of prayer that, solved, that started things rolling to solve some things. But we talked about that day when the children of Israel were leaving away from Egypt. They were out there and the Holy Spirit was guiding them. The Lord Jesus Christ was going before them in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of smoke. And He led them to the Red Sea to where they were trapped with the sea behind them and the mountains on each side. But they felt they were trapped. But God said, I got you right where I want you to be. And He lured Pharaoh and that army to come into that bottleneck there. And they all got afraid. He says, don't fear. Don't run in haste. Stand still. And see the power of the Lord as He rolls up His sleeves and He's going to fight for you. And that day, the battle was won because the pillar that was leading went to the back and became the rear guard and separated the children of Israel from Egypt while the Lord blew from His nostrils that night and opened up the Red Sea and they parted across on dry ground. And then... He stayed protecting them until they were across. And then he went up. And when they came in, the waters came over. So right here, Isaiah is saying, when you're in a battle like we are right now of light and dark, don't be afraid of what they're going to do to you. Don't run in haste. Don't turn away because the Lord God of Israel is going to lead you and He's also going to be your rear guard. And you need to remember that because the same God who did that is the same God that the body of Christ serves today. So he says, don't be afraid of what's getting ready to happen. And then he says this, Verse 13, behold, that's the word hene, and hene means ten hut. It means stand up and take notice, listen up. It's, it's a command. It's, it's not like, oh, behold, I'm going to, no. Ten hut, listen to me, I'm getting ready to talk to you private. It says, behold, my servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he shall deal, oh, uh, it's not prudently, oh, come on now. It may have been prudently in some people's books, but it's sakal means to prosper. And let me tell you why those two go together. Somebody who prospers is usually kind of wise and prudent and takes care of things, don't they? A fool doesn't usually prosper. So that's why prosperity and prudence kind of go hand in hand, and so the word can be interchanged. But what he's trying to say here, my servant... Don't be afraid because my servant is going to deal with you to prosper you. My servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to deal with you to prosper you in these situations. And in those days as now, it's, it meant wise, it meant prudent, and it meant to be a plan that was going to uh, be in place. And then it says this, it says, you shall not only be guarded... He will not only cause to prosper you, but my servant shall be something else. He says, how is he going to do that? He says, he's going to be exalted, to be extolled, and to be very high. And we say, oh, that's nice, and we keep reading, don't we? Oh, I mean, honestly, don't we? When, when we're reading through the scriptures, and especially the Old Testament, it's like, and my servant will deal prudently with you, and he will be extolled, and... and it, 
exalted and be on high, exalted and be on high, and we're like, oh, that's nice, and we keep reading. Uh, since you're all here with me today, we're going to slow down a minute, okay? I need to slow down for a second too, man. I'm okay. Let's let's take these words one at a time. What what is God trying to tell us about His servant who says, "I'm going to prosper you"? What what's He trying to say to us, really? Okay, let's take that first word. To be exalted is the word room, and room means to uh, rise above, to rise up from something. We're going somewhere with all these because they all three go together. He's going to do all three of these and they tie together. Think resurrection, okay? My servant is going to room. He's going to resurrect. He's going to rise above. Not only that, my servant is going to be extolled. What's that? Well, nasa means to be lifted up. Like the ark that Noah built, when the flood waters came, it didn't drown the ark, it lifted it up. My son is going to be lifted up. Oh, get there in a minute, I'm not there yet. Then the next one's to be very high. Gaba means to be above all. That means to be exalted. So that word Gaba is used in Job chapter 5. And 35 and 36. And let me tell you what that means. Job chapter 5. When it says that as the fire. The sparks from your campfire fly up. And disappear. So shall this word be. My son shall be risen up like that. Also says in Job 35. It speaks of being higher than the clouds. And Job 36. The same word means to be exalted above all so whenever we put all of this together about Christ my servant who is going to prosper you it goes something like this he's not going to be just rise above he's going to be in resurrection power do you know that that he was the first fruits of those who are going to rise up to God and he paved the way for the rest of us when the harvest time is here when you offer up the first fruit unto God it secures the harvest of the rest, which is us, that it's going to take place. After that, it says he first had to be extolled, lifted up. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? Do you remember that? He said, you must be born again. And then he said, just, I am the son of God. I am the son of man. And just as Moses did what to the serpent on that, on that pole? Raised him up. Just as the serpent was lifted up, it says, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus went on in John chapter 12. He said, and if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people unto myself. That's this word. And in Isaiah 52, he's saying, my servant is going to resurrect but first he's going to be lifted up. And after he is lifted up on the cross. After he raises again. After that third day. Then after that he is going to be above all. Exalted above all that there is. He's going to be very high. Gabal. That means he's going to ascend up into heaven. Just like the sparks. How many of you like campfires? 
I know a lot of you do. How many like to sit around a campfire? You ever juggle that fire a little bit and what happens? Those sparks do what? And they go up and then they disappear, don't they? I want you to listen to Acts chapter 2 with me for a second, okay? Folks, Isaiah 52 is called the fifth gospel for a reason. 52 and 53 is the fifth gospel. We know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But this is the fifth gospel because the gospel is here. My servant is going to be these three things. Now, listen to the same thing going to be said in Acts chapter 2 when Peter gets there on that day of Pentecost. The day that the church is born on that day and the Holy Spirit comes and they're speaking to him and he starts to convict their hearts and it says this in Acts chapter 2 whosoever whosoever meaneth me right whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved that means to prosper like my my servant will prosper you men of Israel hear these words Jesus of Nazareth a man who was attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs. We just saw that in Hebrews 2. Which God did through him in your midst, confirming him. Whom you took by lawless hands and you what? Crucified him. You lifted him up. You crucified him and you put him to death. And God has now raised him up from the dead. There's that second word. He's raised him up from the dead. He was lifted up. God raised him up. He loosed the pains of death that was not possible for him to be healed by it. And then God swore by an oath that this same Jesus from the lineage of David would be the Christ. And that God would raise up. There's our third word. Gabah. He would raise him up to his throne. And then we go down to verse 30. He's following. He spoke about the resurrection of Christ with that. And then he says this. God did not leave him in Hades. But after being lifted up and going down into the Hadean realm of the dead. God rose him again on the third day. Of which all of us are witnesses that God performed these first two things. Therefore, now he is exalted to the right hand of God. And we, having received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, which he poured out, we proclaim this message unto you. And in Acts chapter 1, do you remember what happened? We're talking there about about how Jesus then was exalted to the right hand of God. Do you remember that he said uh, to them, he says, you are going to be my witnesses. To Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, even to the uttermost parts of the world. You will be my witnesses. And then it says, while they were still watching him and listening to him, it says that Jesus began to rise up and he rose up through there and that he went through the clouds and the clouds hid him. And now Peter says, he is sitting upon the right hand of God in glory. He is exalted above all. And this is the God, God's Savior who is going to prosper you because he was lifted up, because he was raised up, and he was exalted. The same three things that Isaiah talked about. And when, when Peter had said all of this, they were pricked in their hearts and they said, men and brethren, what are we going to do? We have killed and murdered the, the Messiah. And he said, repent of that. Change your mind. You didn't believe in him. Now you do. So repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ 
for the remission of your sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's a promise to all of you who are far off. Your children as many as the Lord our God shall call. And they went on rejoicing with that. So now. Now we get back to Isaiah 52. We still got to see this Jesus though. That Hebrews told us about don't we. We're, we're starting to see We're seeing God's plan was in action. But let's really, because Hebrews went a little further, don't you remember? It says that through his suffering that he might bring many sons to glory. So we still got some more things to go. Let's go back to Isaiah 52 if you're still with me. Get your tissues ready. It's going to heat up in Isaiah 52 verse 13 beginning. Behold my servant. He's going to deal prudently with you. He's going to prosper you. He's going to be exalted, extolled. And he's going to be very high. He's going to be on the right hand of God. But just as many were astonished or astonied, as it says in the original King James at you, his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. You know, part of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the brutal beating that our Lord took. And that's what God wants us to realize and wants us to see about his son. Look at verse 14. Actually, here's what it says. All, everyone at that time when he was beaten and went to the cross, they were astonished at Jesus. Why? It says his visage. That word means your entire form figure from your face to your body. His, his entire figure it was marred. It means to be completely disfigured. It means the fullest sense of totally corrupted. I don't know about you, but I've, I was saving some seeds from this cucumber. I let it grow to be pretty big, and it turned yellow, and then I picked it so that I could save the seeds from it. To, to, but it somehow got hid in the bottom of the cooler. And all of a sudden, my wife's going, something smells in here. So I started searching, and I got to the bottom of the cooler and that, that cucumber I'd been saving for seeds, you couldn't hardly recognize it. it. It had got all soupy. The bottom half was pretty much done. I was able to get it out. When you took it out, it just exploded. The skin barely held it in. It's kind of what this word means. Our Lord, it says His visage, His form, His face, His body was marred. And if you'll look, the Holy Spirit says, above any man. You think that you've seen some things. I'm sure that our first responders that have been on some scenes have saw some things that made them astonished, that really took them by surprise, that is like, oh, wow. I've heard reports from like things of the civil wars and back in, in the ancient times when they hacked each other up. This says that our Lord's visage was marred above all men. No one has ever looked like he did in the fullest sense. It says, you know, our Lord went through seven trials, didn't he? He went through seven brutal trials. He was repeatedly punched in the face with bare fists. We see People boxing in rings. They got gloves on to protect that. We've never really seen too many people who was repeatedly beat over a period of 12 hours with bare fists. 
and with knuckles and then slapped. And not only that, it says that he was spit upon. You've got these, these open wounds that over these times they're swelling up. It's seeping. The cuts are being opened. But they keep pounding the beating on top of that. And then they would mock him. And it says that they were spitting upon him. Half of the people in Jerusalem. He was covered with that. Then they turned him over to the Romans. Annas and Caiaphas. They did all of this. And he was, he was just brutally beaten. But then they turned him over to the Romans. Who have their own form of folly with prisoners. And they started doing their different things with him. Oh, they taunted him. They put him in robes, a crown of thorns, pulled the robe over his head and hit him with the, the wooden stick that they'd give him as a fake scepter, hit him over the head. Who's hitting you this time? Tell us. Can you, can you figure that out? And then whenever they stripped him of, of all of that, and Pilate stood out there, they still was screaming, crucify him crucify him he said first i'm going to scourge him maybe that'll satisfy you roman scourging what they had was a pole out in the middle of the square a pole that had chains or ropes tied to the top so that the hands would be tied up to the very top so that you couldn't get away and you couldn't go nowhere and your entire body was exposed and those Roman soldiers had been trained with that scourging whip. It was like a cat of nine tails. It had leather straps. It wasn't just one. It was a lot of little leather straps. And into those leather pieces, they would put bits of metal and stone and bone pieces. Things that would cut and slice and hurt. And so while our Lord has already been beaten and pummeled and not even able to be visually seen... With hands like this, the scourging started. And the whips went around the back and the shoulders and the neck and the sides. We have written and recorded in the year of our Lord, 155 A.D., some Christians who were meeting together. And the Roman soldiers came in and took a few of their brothers out. They finished the service by praying for them and what was going to happen. And the brethren ran quickly to go find their brother and to get him. The, the men that they had took. And when they got there they had already scourged them. And, it's, and their recorded notes is still available. And it says that when we got there. All that we saw of them was their muscles and veins exposed. And it had wrapped around and it cut so deep that even the bowels was coming out. This is what happened to our Lord. After he was beaten and mocked and spit upon, they scourged him. And Pilate says, ain't that enough? And they still screamed, crucify him, crucify him. So they took him and turned him over to that. And they said, carry your own cross. You get that cross like it's bigger than the one we got out here. I've read that it weighs a couple hundred pounds. Carry it. So after all of this, beaten and torn and not even visually able to see, he's got the cross on the shoulder and he has to carry his own cross. And I can imagine what was going on in his mind. Don't die yet. 
a lesser man would have already died, folks. They would have already died from what he went through. But he had a goal and a determination that he was not going to let you and I down. And every step was, I've got to make it to the cross. Because without the cross, there's no redemption. Without the cross, there is no crown. And the enemy wins. And every step, I'm sure, was slow. <laughs> I got to do it. <laughs> Lord, Father, give me strength. And he drank of that cup. And every step and about halfway there, it says that the weight of that and the beatings and the fluid loss, that he fell from the weight of that. And the soldier grabs Simon the Cyrene and said, get that cross. And he says, can you walk? And I'm sure that they got him up. He said, get moving. And all our Lord could think about was you and I. And I have to redeem them. I have to make it to the cross. And step by step, he followed that until he got to the place of the skull. Golgotha. And the ride wasn't over yet. Because when he gets there, they drop that cross on the ground with a thud. And they grab him. And they put him down on the ground on the cross. And the soldiers grab the arms and stretch him out as far as they can. And you hear bang, bang. As those stakes were driven through the hands and through the feet. Then, it's not over. Because now that he's completely stretched and staked they got to pick that cross up he's got to be what lifted up the word says he's got to be lifted up first can you imagine the pain when it's lifted up and your entire body weight now is gravity is pulling on it because you're not laying down getting them in now they've lifted you up and you're pulled on that and then they have to take it over to the hoe and Drop it in so that it can stand and the thud goes there. I'm sure the body was racked with pain. And then after that, he's got to hear the, all that trip there taking that cross was more tongues wagging, more ridicule, making fun of, more spitting upon him. And then he gets up there and even the two thieves start to mock him at first, but one finally comes to his senses. And then there's darkness. And you know what it says? We're going to read it in a moment in Isaiah 53 whenever we close this out. But it says that he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And like a sheep before its shearers that he opened not his mouth. Through all of that, our Lord didn't scream. He didn't do anything. He didn't say anything back to him. But then at noon when darkness covered the place and he began to be judged for my sins he cries out you know why because he is tasting death for each one of us and he is tasting that flame and feeling the pain and then when it is over he had one word one word to sum it all up tetelestai one word in the Greek but in ours it takes three it is finished that was the death that mattered, spiritual death, 
Not physical. It was spiritual. When he said it's finished, he was still alive and speaking. And he said, it is finished. I have suffered through spiritual death and hell for you. And then it says he gave up the ghost. And that's when he went then into the Hadean realm. And they took his body to the tomb. Three days later, that second word comes to mind. That second word that says he was resurrected from the dead. That he beat the power of death and hell and Satan. And he won the spiritual victory for you and I. And then we saw how that he told the apostles. You are to be my ambassadors. My witnesses to everyone. And then like those gaba. Like those sparks that go up and disappear into the clouds. He did. And he's left us here now. To realize, to see Jesus as he is and was and how God wanted us to see him. So that we might appreciate what he did and that we don't drift away from God. And then you go to Isaiah 53 for the rest of the story as Paul Harvey used to say. You get over there to Isaiah 53 and he says this. Who? Who has believed our report on this? Who really sees Jesus as he is, disfigured and marred beyond any man for you? Who will believe our report? Will you believe it today? He was despised, he was rejected, he was a man of constant sorrows and grief, yet we hid our face from him. We didn't want nothing to do with him. But he still loved us. And he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows that day. We thought, oh, God's just afflicting him and smiting him for something he's done. But no, he was wounded for my transgressions, for my sins. He was bruised. The word is crushed. We're going to get to that probably next week a little bit. Because it's going, we're going to read in a minute that it pleased God to crush or bruise him. There's a particular word and reference that this is for. And we're going to cover that next week probably with the trumpets. The chastisement of my peace with God was upon him. So he had to make it to the cross and not die before then. By those stripes we are healed. And I know a lot of folks claim that for sickness. But it's not sickness. If, if so, there's some folks who got left out on that, didn't it? Because we still get sick and we still die. No. Whenever it says that he was bruised and he was crushed and by his stripes we were healed, it was spiritual healing. It was spiritual death that he overcame and spiritual sickness. It wasn't the other. We can try to apply it to that and we can pray it to God and a lot of times he does heal. But he's talking about by his stripes, every one of us has the ability to be healed from sin and death. And yet, he was wounded for my transgressions and bruised. His stripes has healed. But we, like sheep, all go astray. You know how sheep go astray? A bite here, a bite there, a bite here, a bite there. And then pretty soon, where am I? Drifting away. Is what sheeps do. They don't just run away. They drift away. But we like sheep. Have all just drifted away. And went our own way. But Jesus. 
was like a lamb before the slaughter. He was taken away for us to be that sacrifice. And he didn't open his mouth. But then verse 10. And it pleased the Lord to crush him. Really? Yeah, really. Because once we begin to understand that kafetz or pleased really means pleased in a sense, just like we saw a moment ago with another word on prudent, it means God had a problem, sin. And that problem led to you and I being separated from God, so God had to come up with a plan. And that plan was that the will of God was that his son would die in place of me. And so that was the will of God. And you remember Jesus as he prayed that night in the garden. He said, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to drink from this cup of anguish that I'm going to have to. But if there is no other way, not my what? But thy be done. This word is attached to will. It was the will of God that Jesus suffer and die in my place. And when it was complete, then comes the pleasing because the plan prospered us and God. The offering that is made here when it says that Jesus in the next verse is offered up for our sins. It's not just a word for offering, folks. It's why we're getting into some of this. The word is a special word that means the trespass offering. There's five Levitical offerings. There's, there's the drink offering, the meal offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering. The trespass offering was the last one, but it's the only one in which both parties prosper. And you say, how's that? Why? That's why God is pleased and we are prospered. Because God sent one son to this earth. And like Jesus said, the seed of corn or the seed of grain goes into the ground. But once it arises again, it brings forth much seeds and it a great harvest. And so by that planting, God is prospered. His plan, His will is done. And many sons. It says He will see His seed. Look up there. He'll see His seed and He'll be pleased with it. Because it comes back. God is prospered by many sons. We are prospered because now He has given us the right through that sacrifice to justly say that give us the power to become the sons of God. Amen? How about that? That is how God wants you and I to see His Son. So as our, as our praise team comes on back up and we get ready to close, I'm going to go back to our New Testament base of Hebrews chapter 2. And there it says, Give earnest heed. To these words that you've just heard today. I want you to see Jesus as God saw Jesus in my place. And he says don't drift away. Don't neglect such a great salvation that the Lord spoke of. That the apostles spoke of. That we speak of through the word of God. And that God confirmed through signs, wonders and miracles. 
we see Jesus, verse 9, made lower than the angels, crowned after the cross with glory and honor to be King of kings and Lord of lords, that by the grace of God he might taste death for us all for one purpose, verse 10, that through that suffering of death he might bring many sons to glory and become the captain of our salvation. Amen. Praise God, right? Let's pray. And Father, may we be inspired and see Jesus as you see him. And what that means is, is that when you see a child of yours that has believed and been baptized into Christ, that you no longer see us and my life. You see him. You see him who is the captain of our salvation. That through his death and suffering, you can now justly call us your sons. And we, you see, we are clothed with Christ and you see him and not us. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Because otherwise, if you just saw me, how repulsive a wretch like Paul said it would be. Praise, praise you, Father, for your son. That your plan that came together on the cross and our Lord accepted the challenge and fulfilled it. That we might be the sons of glory. And that you are pleased and happy that the plan worked. And we are so thankful that we're your sons. May we, Father, cling to you. Don't let us drift away, but help us to always see Jesus in this way. In our Lord's name we pray. Amen.
it's okay to clap. I, I promise you. Because you're not clapping for us. You're clapping for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's all about you, Jesus. 